be like a, like a remote control turn the camera off. Dang. Thanks for being with us today. For those that are at home, thanks for being with us at home. Um, for those that are watching wherever you are, you're glad that you can join us. It's actually nice to have slightly increased numbers, you know, um, within the house, which is nice. You know, I really don't know how things will look. Um, I'd love to have a huge Christmas Eve service, but at this stage, we may be limited to our 30, you know. So who knows what we're going to do, but we'll keep, we'll make it up as we go along. Uh, I keep having discussions with different people, different churches, some on social media, probably shouldn't do that, um, over what, what's the right thing to do. And I guess we're a slightly smaller church, so it makes it a little bit easier uh, because the larger churches you know, uh, are trying to capture all of their family and I understand and I sympathise and I, I partly agree why they would run a service full of vaccinated because that's a large chunk and then you might run two of those so that captures a large chunk and then for those that are mixed, unvaccinated or not wanting to, to divulge their vaccination status, you know, we'll, we'll have something for them. And so they're from a right heart, they're trying to capture everyone. But those few that are being left out feel as though they're being left out of the main body. And so I, I know that a majority of our church are on the same page, which is really lovely. Christ tells us in John 17, you know, he says to his father, may they be one as we are one. And so for us as a church, we want to stand in unity together regardless of what side of that fence you stand on. I, I feel like it's important just to reiterate that. You know, why aren't we having more people in here who are vaccinated? Because we don't want to say, whether it's a minority, yeah, or whether it's, we don't want to say to them, listen, you can't be with us. It doesn't sit right in my soul, you know. So we're saying, well, you know what, what we can do is we can stand with you and we'll have patience and we'll persevere and if we don't agree with you, we'll show grace and we'll be like Jesus and we'll meet together as we can. And we'll rotate and we'll ring people and we'll catch up with people during the week and we'll do things to love on every one of our family to know that they're just as valuable regardless of health, sickness, status, job, ethnicity, colour, etc. Yeah? So thanks for being with us, those that made it onto the roster this week. It was probably a little bit easier because we've got a whole bunch of unbelievers holidaying. I mean, sorry, we've got a whole bunch of we've got believers holidaying because of the long weekend. Um, and so some of you may have got in by default, you know, like, oh, they missed out. No, no, I'm joking. You were our first pick. Anyway, don't dig the hole, Andrew. Let it go. Leave the, leave the bone alone. All right, let's start. Let's pray. Father, just pray that you'd be with us this morning. We thank you for your presence. <laughs> your mighty, mighty presence. And Lord God, I pray that today you would speak to the hearts that need to hear your voice, that you would heal people that need your, your healing, that you would, I guess, challenge those that need to be challenged, but in the end, God, that we would be more whole and more like your son, Jesus. So Father, have your way this day, I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Who knows that life can be like dodgeball? Who's ever watched the movie? I love it. You catch a spanner, you catch a ball. You know, if you can dodge a spanner, you can dodge a ball. I love the movie. I love the premise of the movie because in this game, you've got two sides, but basically people are trying to hit you with a ball and inevitably 
you're always going to get down to one person left versus a, a few of them, you know. I like to be that person and win against the odds. Maybe when I was a bit more manoeuvrable. But the point is that you've got all these balls coming at you. Yeah? They, they're coming at you. So if you've got one person on this side of the court and four people on the other side and they're all throwing balls at you, you know, you're going to jump, you're going to dive, you're going to dodge, you're going to suck your stomach in so the ball goes past. A bit harder now, right? There's a bit more to push back on. You know, you're going to do everything that you can so you don't get hit by the ball. And if you do get hit by the ball, it doesn't really matter too much because they don't hurt. But life can be like that where we're just going along playing, I guess, a game of life, working, school, relationship. And things are going really well but then it seems like you're in that last part of the game where it's a 1v4 and all of a sudden these balls of life start getting thrown at you. Criticism, you know, it could be judgment, negativity, um, a whole bunch of things. Hate, slander, they get thrown at you. And though dodgeball is a fun game and it's a lot like life, uh, when the words hit you, they're a little bit different to the ball. You know, they, those words can hurt even if there's no marks on the outside and you feel like you often feel like I'm just looking for tissues you often feel like you're getting smashed you know pummeled by life anyone ever felt like that where life just feels like it's ganging up against you when you get hit you get into trouble you get stressed stuff stuff just starts to happen and sometimes the things that are coming against us are actions. Sometimes they're even words from somebody else. Anyone ever been hurt by words from somebody else? Like, seriously, I'm sure that we all have somewhere. And sometimes, you know, the, the language I used when I spoke last week was there's perpetrators of pain and love. And in this case, the perpetrator of the pain is a somebody, you know. And they, they throw things at us and they bring offence into our lives. And they're doing something and they're saying something that, that has or, or, or it is wounding us, you know. You know, like dodgeball, I guess they come from everywhere, it seems, sometimes. Like every corner. You know, all of those things. The slander, the criticism, the negativity. And we can't dodge them all and we do get hit. All of us in life somewhere will get hit if we haven't already been here. And it's painful. And the truth is that one of the common denominators of life, you're going to love this truth for all of us, is pain. One of the common denominators for all of us in this room, for those that are watching, is, is pain. And it's not a matter of if you're going to be hurt by somebody. <laughs> you will be hurt by somebody. It's rather when you do, how will you respond to it? How will we respond to it? You know, last week I was talking about these perpetrators of pain. I can't think of a better, a, a better terminology. And, and, and one of those is pain that comes into our lives from and through somebody else. They're, you could call them sinful decisions. You can call them stupid decisions. But in other words, we become victims of somebody else's actions. And... and this is the part that I want to talk about this week because some, some of the pain can be through our own choices, yeah? 
we're still free to make mistakes. Some of our pain comes from a spiritual attack. That's what I was speaking about last week. And sometimes we suffer pain just because we're in a broken world because of sin. But this week I want to talk about the pain that comes into our lives through somebody else's choices, somebody else's decisions, somebody, somebody else's actions. You know, what do we do when we become the victim of someone else's sinful choices even? You know, how do we respond? How do you and I as believers, how do we respond to that? Because at the end of the day, it's not a matter of if you'll be hurt by someone, but when, yeah? I said last week, if we don't let God transform our pain, inevitably we're actually going to transfer it onto someone else. That's what we will do, all of us. So if we don't let God do a healing work in our hearts when we're offended, no matter how great the offense, yeah? Because let's face it, I might think my offense is huge, but in your eyes it's only teeny little, little wee, you know? <laughs> and you might have a real offense, you know? But if, if we don't deal with it, it, it'll fester, it rots, it turns into bitterness, it turns into un unforgiveness, within us and then what happens is it oozes out of us into somebody else's life and then we become the actual carrier or the if you prefer you know now when you bring this word home it's it gets a little bit little a little bit personal we become the perpetrator of pain yet as much as hurt people tend to hurt people hurt people can heal people like, if we let God transform our hearts, hurt people can heal people. And I believe there are, there are some that are watching, there are some that are here, me included here, that at times, if we really just stop, even for this one moment, and look within, I'd imagine some of us might say that we've got some inner hurt, some inner, maybe some repressed bitterness, some unforgiveness. You don't want to pick up a knife and kill someone. Hope. You know? But, you know, Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus says that he comes to give us life and life to the full. And the only way we can live a life to the full is if we actually release all bitterness and all unforgiveness. The only way. So I want to keep looking at David. David's a really good example. And we looked at David last week. But he experienced a wounding. He experienced pain. He experienced stuff in life. A hurt. And I want us to look our, at, at how he dealt with it. So David experienced a wounding hurt in his life. And he had a choice as to how he was going to respond. And so we're going to look at the, uh, a story of, of David, but after he defeats Goliath, right? So he's beat, he's beat the giant, yeah? He, he's had this overwhelming, spectacular victory, like one that, let's face it, a victory like that, all of a sudden you can... Just walk, <laughs> you know? Like seriously, he went from a nobody to a somebody in, in an instant, Yeah? And we know the story because so often we've heard it preached to us over the years that, you know, we know David was the youngest in the family. 
the smallest in the family, if it was a, 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 a litter of puppies, we would call him the runt of the family. Yeah? He was the runt of the family. And he comes down and he faces this nine-foot-tall giant, the runt of the family, and smashes him. And if we've ever heard that story preached, we would hear it preached like this. We can face our giants because with God, it doesn't matter how big they are. We can slay them. We can take them down. If God's on your side, as long as it's his strength and not your strength, yeah? All you need is faith and belief. But what we're about to look at is after this victory that David has, we all need to know that when we have a spiritual breakthrough or a spiritual victory, if you like, yeah, the enemy is going to come at you with offense, flat out. Because he wants to make sure that your victory is squashed. He wants to make sure that your victory gets no traction, that there's no momentum, that you don't actually go from one level of strength to the next, as the Bible would suggest, one level of glory to the next. He doesn't want you to keep walking in the freedom that you've just discovered in your victory. So he's going to remind you of something of the past or he's going to cause somebody to do or say something in your life that will totally paralyze you because he doesn't want you to walk in freedom. So 1 Samuel chapter 18, we're going to read from verse 6. And it reads, As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing, they met King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Verse 8 says this very clearly, and Saul was very angry. <laughs> like, if you, had, if you were the coach and you had the best player on the team and the best player on the team caused you to win, you'd be pretty happy. But this particular coach gets very angry that his best player is getting all the accolades. Saul was very angry. I don't know what happened to Saul and what happened even up to this point in Saul's life that caused the wounding in him. We, we don't know. The scripture, scripture actually doesn't tell us. yeah. But I do know that he didn't allow God to transform his pain. That is totally obvious. yeah. And in a second we'll see, out of insecurity, bitterness, jealousy, that he begins to throw offense at David. It reads in verse 8, And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David tens of thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. <laughs> One of the places that King Saul went wrong was he started to fill in gaps in the story. Yeah? He started to add his own narrative to this thing. You know, he, he, he ascribes or he places a certain treasonous, if you will, type character to David. Like all of a sudden he's fearful that David will betray him. You know, what more can he have but now the kingdom? Yeah. And he tells himself these stories and he writes a false story, a false narrative all about David. And often when people do or say something to us, oftentimes they actually don't even intend to hurt us. Yeah? 
But what do we do? We interpret the pain as their motivation and we place on them the same hurtful type of of character, the same hurtful type of motivation. We actually say, well, obviously they meant that. They meant to hurt us. We place intent, you know, because of what we've felt on the other person. It can even feel like they've betrayed you. And so like Saul with David, we place on other people these false motives, yeah? Sometimes they're justified. Often they're not. But we place on them these false motives and, and we, we do that and then one way we can stop and the only way I reckon we can stop bitterness from festering in our hearts is to stop judging their actions. Stop placing intent on them because when we do that because we've been hurt all of a sudden this bitterness and this unforgiveness starts to build up and fester and rot on the inside of us because we've been hurt by someone and oftentimes they haven't even meant it people people are hurt now because some aren't vaccinated people are hurt now because they should be vaccinated. People are hurt now because you can't tell me what to do. People are hurt now because what about me? Yeah? And we start to place motive and intent on a person's actions because it's hurt us. But when we do that, like some of the discussions I'm having on social media, people are bitter. They've got unforgiveness. They're angry. It's festering on the inside of them and it'll start to rot. You know, in life, there's going to be things said and done to us that, that were completely unintentional, yeah? Completely unintentional of what actually happened. And instead of filling the gap with bitterness and unforgiveness and stuff like that and creating our own story and our own narrative and then letting it fester as Saul did, maybe, 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 maybe as believers we should give people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe if someone's offended us, for whatever reason, maybe we should approach that person and speak to them. Well, what a novel thought that is i had this conversation with samuel (laughs) he loves snapchat if anyone knows snapchat really let me say that it's not communication sending a picture to someone every 10 minutes of you in a different pose saying hi is not having right a conversation it's that's not what it is conversation requires more than three words and it's ongoing continually yeah? So maybe we should try having a conversation outside of social media with somebody that's offended us. Maybe we can seek clarity and a happy snap of me smiling doesn't mean that I'm good with it. Yeah. Maybe, just maybe, we could, as we should, seek oneness, seek unity as the Father and Jesus are one. Maybe. But the enemy, the enemy's after division. The, the enemy wants to divide from within. The enemy would love to divide us all, and he'll do so with offense. Man, there's more offense in the Christian world than there is in the normal world. It's insane. Like, hello? If you're offended at a Christian, outside of if it's justified, and there are moments where that's justified, 
please hear my heart. Don't allow yourself to be the enemy's puppet on a string. Yeah? Like, hello? Don't give in to a narrative that you're creating. So if this is what we can do when it's unintentional, Saul was intentionally trying to harm David, intentionally. And Saul begins to be the perpetrator of David's pain. And it says in verse 9, And Saul eyed David from that day on. In other words, he makes, I guess, he starts becoming suspicious. Suspicious. So one of the markers of bitterness is that you're suspicious of other people. Well, I don't know about them. Well, why? Because I heard, hello, someone's got strings. Yeah? Don't, don't allow the enemy to do that. You may not see it, the bitterness in your life, but I guarantee you that others will see it built up in your heart. Yeah? And, and those around you will see it because it oozes from us. And especially we should be able to acknowledge it and see it when it starts to take the form of suspicion. Well, I don't know about that, Lockie. He was looking at my shoes. I think he wants them. I was going to take them off because it's hot, but I, I, I fear not leaving, leave them on the ground. He, they may be gone. Um, what? Like that's Sorry, Locke. And that's the worst analogy in the world. But that's what some of our thoughts sound like. 1 Samuel, we continue from verse 10. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. And he raved within his house. Did you know some versions of the Bible say he prophesied? Majority. majority actually, it's almost broken 50-50 say that he prophesied. But the word there, when it says he raved, it means he ran around like a madman. I don't want a harmful spirit to come upon me and someone believe that I'm now prophesying because yeah, I'm running around like a madman sprouting all sorts of stuff. It just said an evil spirit came upon me. Yeah, well, I'm not going to trust that prophecy. I don't know about you, right? So he, his, he saw spirit comes upon him. He runs around like a madman while David's still playing his lyre in his harp trying to bring peace because this guy's got a mental illness. And he's done that from the very beginning as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled a spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. Wow, <laughs> mentor. <laughs> but David evaded him twice. What do we do? What do you do when someone throws spears at you? What do we do? Our natural tendency is to pick up a spear that's been thrown at us like a ball and throw it back. Our tendency is to react or, or respond with some form of retribution. I'll get you back for throwing that. 10% of life is what happens to you. 90% is how we respond. And many Christians, I think, are, are living in a bottled up, you know, suppressed state emotionally and they're not walking in healing, not walking in kingdom freedom. They're not walking in everything that God has planned and purposed for us because we've operated under the pretense that, that it's okay if someone throws a spear at us, then we're going to throw it back at them. But that's not right. 
It's not right when you're a Christian, a believer. It's not right when you're trying to be like Jesus. So what we're doing when we, when we live under that pretense is we're allowing the pain to fester and build on the inside of us and we start throwing spears at other people. Our thoughts, our opinions, our malice, our slander, our offence, yeah? Let's make today a day that that's broken in Jesus' name, yeah? And here's David. And David has a heart after God's own heart. I love this. The heart of God. David had a heart after that of God's heart. The heart of God, yeah? So what, what you've got to understand, if he's got a heart of God, then he's an emotional being. He feels everything. So this, what David's going through is not just physical, it's not just abusive, but it's emotional for David too. It's actually emotional for him too. Think about it. David has a father wound. Now, we don't often recognize it. We don't talk about it. People actually don't even preach about it. But think about it for a moment. David was anointed king, and you've got Samuel the prophet comes to Jesse, David's father, and he says to him, hey, why don't you line up all of your sons because God's told me I'm about to anoint one of them as the next king. Go and get your sons. David wasn't invited. You've got to understand this. David wasn't invited. He was rejected by his own father. Yeah? David's father, not only didn't he invite him, he didn't even claim him or credit him as one of his sons. How is that, that, that pain, that wounding, what would that have done to David emotionally as he was growing up? Why don't people talk about that stuff? So you've got David, and he has this victory that places him now in Saul's palace. And Saul begins to look after him, really bring him under his wing. And King Saul may have been one of the first to believe in David, one of the first to actually bring him off the sheep fields and believe in him for something great. Saul, I think, became like a second father figure to, to David, like a mentor and an I'm going to go as far as to suggest that I think David began to, to want to be more like Saul. I want to be like him. Man, you know, he's looked after me. He's tall, he's strapping, he's strong. Has, well, I want to be like him. He's my chance to be mentored by the king. He's my chance to fill my father's wound. He's my chance to replace the thing that I didn't have growing up. And maybe, maybe you and I, we're walking around with early wounding ourselves, yeah? Stuff that we don't talk about. And when something happens to us later or someone does something or says something, that wound gets poked and all of a sudden we react, yeah? The feeling and the emotions rush back and we, we feel that, that pain from yesteryear all over again. Like someone ripping a Band-Aid off over a wound that's not yet whole. If we don't let God transform our pain, we'll transfer it onto others down the track. That's for sure. And, and David looks at King Saul as a father, and then Saul betrays David. Saul betrays him. And we're going to see in a moment how David responds, because remember that David was a man after God's own heart. 
So we have to look at the heart of God. God loved us so much yeah, that he was prepared to send his son in the form of a child yeah, to experience and live through every temptation and feeling and emotion that we could possibly have. There's not anything that you and I can go through that God doesn't understand. That's the heart of God. He subjected himself to human suffering experienced every kind of hurt, experienced betrayal. And he takes spears on our behalf. Think about it. Jesus was mocked, he was ridiculed, laughed, beaten, spat on, falsely accused, wrongfully tried, hung on a cross, all spears thrown at him, and he absorbs them all, all of them, willingly. Jesus absorbed all of the spears willingly while he was on the cross. And while he was on the cross, he speaks and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Now, I shared a few weeks ago that, you know, many years ago, when I was going through my separation and divorce, one of the things that, I guess, started that, apart from a breakdown in the relationship, was that it was brought to my attention that, my ex-wife at the time was, there was another man involved, yeah? another person, of which I didn't want to believe, but within two weeks of being told that and being asked to leave the home, this other person, this other man was then picking up my children from school. Yeah. Not only that, while I'm discovering that, I find out my best friend that helped me find out all of that was making passes at my ex-wife at the same time. He liked her as well. I won, by the way. Anyway, um, I had to find the ability to be able to forgive them. I had to find the ability to be able to forgive, in particular, him. See, forgiveness isn't a feeling. Forgiveness is a decision, yeah? And it's a daily one. Jesus just didn't die for the world and everyone else in it. He actually died for you and me. What that means is he died for our sins. It was our sins that nailed him on the cross, yeah? And, and that means that you and I, we hurt God. We put him there on the cross. We did that. We threw the spears at Jesus, Yet while we were sinners, he died for us. He forgave us. He forgave me. And I want to say this. It's, spirit, it's a spiritual impossibility to experience the forgiveness of Jesus and not be willing to extend it to others. You've got to hear me, those that are listening at home. It is a spiritual impossibility to experience the forgiveness of Jesus and then not be willing to extend it to others. No matter the pain, yeah? No matter the hurt, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, what do we do when we're confronted with the offense? David was confronted by Saul. We can't bury the stuff that happens to us. We we can't. You and I, one day, now or in the future, we will be confronted by the hurt that we've been through, the pain, the stuff that's offended us. What will we do? How will we respond? David, 1 Samuel 26, verse 6, Then David said to Ahimelech, the Hittite, and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, who will go down with me into the camp to Saul, 
And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there lay Saul, the person that brought his offense, sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God, I love these people that are in your life, not. Then God has given your enemy into your hands this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear and I will not strike him twice. First, isn't it ironic that the very spear that Saul used to throw, throw at David is then there right next to his head, stuck in the ground? Man, that would have been so tempting. The same spear that Saul used to throw at David is there, stuck by his head. The enemy will nearly always give you an opportunity to take revenge with your own hands. He'll try to trick you into thinking that revenge is sweet. But revenge is bitter. It may taste sweet to the tongue, but when it gets deep down in your soul, it's actually a bitterness that festers and rots and turns to unforgiveness. And sometimes when we're going through this stuff, rather than hearing the voice of God, we have people like Abishai in our life whispering in our ear that says, go for it, get him back, you deserve it. This is your opportunity. I'll do it for you. After all you've been through, just do it. Verse 9, But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, As the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put my hand against the Lord's anointed, but take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head, took the spear and the jar. I love it, took the spear. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep because it was a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon Don't miss this. When someone threw a spear at David, what did he do? He stole the spear. He stole the spear. That, what that means is no one saw it, no one knew it, or so it seems anyway, but he didn't throw it back. Yeah, he didn't throw it back. He didn't begin crafting his own, you know. It didn't start, he didn't start to stew over it. He stole it. See, when, something is do, when someone's doing something to us or saying something to us, steal the spear. Absorb, like Jesus, the offense. Yeah? Because when you absorb the offense, you walk in grace. And when you choose not to respond or to retaliate to that offense, it robs the offense. It robs the offender of all their power. If you don't let Jesus transform your pain, you'll transfer it onto others. I'm not going to fight fire with fire. I'm going to fight fire with water. Yeah? I'm not going to fight bitterness with bitterness. I know if I just hold on to the bitterness, it's going to destroy me. That would be like, I guess, eating rat poison and expecting it to kill somebody else. It doesn't work. Don't fight fire with fire. Scripture says we've been given weapons of righteousness, love, grace, joy, forgiveness, mercy. They're the weapons that we fight with. So when we choose to use those weapons, we actually begin to partner with God in real vengeance. Yeah, because now God's in control and God is, 
is really the mightiest avenger, apart from what Marvel might have you say. God is a much better avenger and the mightiest avenger than there ever was. His justice is perfect. Don't rob God from that by taking it into our own hands. Yeah? The best vengeance is forgiveness, extending forgiveness. And so I ask this to all those that are listening, to those that are here, have you really experienced real forgiveness? Because it's a spiritual impossibility to experience the forgiveness of Jesus and not be willing to extend it to others. You know, Romans 12, 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, people have asked me over the years, how could you forgive that person? How could you forgive that person? How could you forgive that man? (laughs) It's a good question. Forgiveness is an emotion. It's not an emotion. (laughs) If I was to wait around until I felt like forgiving, I probably still wouldn't have forgiven him to this day, yeah? Forgiveness is not an emotion, it's a decision, it's a daily decision. I chose to make that decision because I don't want to hang on to the bitterness, knowing what bitterness might do inside of me. So I released him from that offence. Now I understand that some offences are much greater than others. So let me add, releasing someone from the offence doesn't absolve them from the consequences that they're going to face. Yeah? But sometimes we have to forgive and still create boundaries. That's true. But you and I need to learn that there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. See, forgiveness is our part and reconciliation is... is, Forgiveness is my part. Reconciliation is our part. That requires the two parties to get together and to speak and to work it out. And sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. But that's where reconciliation lives. It needs confession. It needs repentance. And the problem we have in the world today is, is people, Christians, are walking around and, and they're walking around wounded because they, they haven't reconciled. And because they haven't reconciled, they haven't forgiven because they haven't understood the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Do you understand? Our part is to forgive. And then together we reconcile. But if the reconciliation doesn't work, we still have to forgive. And when we release offense, it then brings freedom into our lives. I had to forgive that other man. I had to. Like, I had to. In fact, I had to share the stage with him multiple times with my daughters on key events, 21st birthdays, graduations, (laughs) Lots of fun. I had to forgive. I remember very clearly thanking him for loving my girls. I thanked him for supporting them financially and emotionally. I thanked him for being there with them, for helping to raise them. Now, he's no longer in the picture. (laughs) But while he was... He was always kind. I don't think he ever really knew how to deal with me. I just don't think he did. But when he and and, and my ex-wife became his ex, (laughs) he was still invited to some things. He was invited to my daughter's wedding um, two years ago, wasn't it, Mel? 
I reckon I was the first person to go up to him, shake his hand, give him a hug, because it was pre-COVID, give him a hug. How are you going? How's things? How's life? What, what are you up to? How's work? Yeah, because I had forgiven him. Forgiveness destroys the work of the real enemy. That's true vengeance. Yeah? Proverbs 25, 21, 22 says, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. The Lord will reward you and the Lord will heap the burning coals. Don't go after the burning coals. God will do it himself. But know that there's a reward coming if you live the way God wants you to live. Don't let bitterness and unforgiveness and frustration build up on the inside. Steal the spear back. Yeah? Steal the spear back. Fight with a better story. Fight with mercy. Fight with grace. That's what we've been given. Walk with integrity. God is our defender and our avenger. He's not only. God is not only the promise maker. He is our promise keeper. I love this and we'll finish with this. What would happen if we actually took kindness into those situations, if we diffused things with kindness? You know, but pastor, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know the pain that's come against me. You don't know what I've travelled with. You, you don't know. Where's justice in that? 1 Samuel 31 from verse 1 says, Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel. And the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons. And the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malchishua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul and the archers found him and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore Saul took his own sword and fell upon it. If you read 2 Samuel, that's 1 Samuel. If you read 2 Samuel, it gives an account of that same story. But in 2 Samuel, it doesn't use the word sword, it uses the word spear. Saul was notorious for throwing spears. And the very spear, the spear that he threw, because he was that's what he did when he was angry, that he threw at David, he fell on his own spear. Now for me, that is poetic justice. What does it say? It says that the weapon you use against others will be used against you. Yeah? Those that live by the sword will die by the sword. Or better still, Scripture, the measure you judge is the same measure you'll be judged. So why don't we stand while we pray? And I just think that today, for those that are here, those that are listening at home, today is a day for me to step into God's forgiveness, to extend forgiveness to others, and to let go of all offence. And I'm going to pray, and I'm over time by five minutes, so thanks for those that are still here. You can't go. But those that are watching, hang in there. We're nearly done. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And I'm not going to open the altar per se, but I want us to sing, um, I Speak Jesus. Yeah? <laughs> because sometimes we just have to speak the name of Jesus into those situations. Sometimes we just need to speak his name over every anxiety. Yeah? <laughs> 
Wow, look at that. <laughs> the enemy will do anything to distract you. The enemy will do everything to make sure you hold on to the bitterness and the unforgiveness that festers on the inside. The enemy doesn't want you to walk in freedom. And so during this song, if you want to call it that, during this prayer, if you want, you can come forward and sing it. You can do it from your seats. You can do it at home in your lounge rooms. But while we sing the words, I speak Jesus over every enemy. I speak Jesus over my family. If there are things that you're still holding on to, give them to him. Live in his promise. Allow him to be the defender and avenger of your soul. Yeah? Let go of the offense of the past that's stifling some of us living into the fullness that God has for us. Amen? Sometimes we just need to Speak the name of Jesus.